Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Knives, machetes, saws, and shears. Multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. From the nation's capital, this is the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast with your host, Rob Snowett. Thank you for downloading the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast. I hope you are subscribed on iTunes. And if you're on iTunes, leave me a little review. I'd like to know what you think of the show. This is episode 233. This episode is all about Kiki Galvin, also known as Misguided. Kiki is one of the most generous people in the fly fishing community today. I asked Kiki to stop by the Fly Fishing Consultant headquarters to discuss her inspirational road trip out west, her volunteering, ghost fog on the Gunpowder River, her work with Temple Fork Outfitters, and her lunch with Lefty Cray, all while the Pixie and Dr. Jones are snoring on the floor next to us. This is episode 233, and you can find Kiki at misguided.net. All right, it's Wednesday night. We've got Kiki here, Kiki Galvin. Is that your real name? Rob, it is not. Um, Kathleen is my given name. Kathleen Mary is my given name. But I was given the nickname Kiki by my next-door neighbor at the age of two. So really, to be very honest with you, it's the IRS and my mother, God rest her soul, were the only ones that virtually called me Kathleen Mary. Everybody else calls me Kiki. Okay. Mm-hmm. And what's the spelling of Kiki? Do people get that wrong? They do. It's K-I-K-I. It's fairly simple, but I'll get K-E-K-E. Um, some people call me Kai-Kai. There's, there's different iterations of Kiki. I don't take offense to any of them. All right. So you are from upstate New York, if I remember. Yes. So I, and I, for I, those that don't know, I, I've known Kiki now for 20-plus years from when I was working at Orvis Tyson's. And she and Leo would come. Yeah, you're just 
been everywhere and done a ton of things. So I thought instead of having you just at the Somerset Edison show give a two minute blurb, I'll have Kiki tell her whole story. So let's start with you were born up in New York. I was born in Corning, New York. And, you know, it's not very far. It's actually the Finger Lake region, so it's not very far from Finger Lake. So my family and I um, used to go up. We rented a cottage on Cuca Lake. And so at the age of five, many, many moons ago, that's really actually where I learned to fish. My dad would put me out on the dock after we collected worms, put it in the, the Maxwell coffee can, collected the worms, sat out on the dock with my little Zebco, you know, reel, rod and reel, and the red and white bobber, and fished all day, and that's really where it started. So the childhood, were you outside a lot? Yes, I was actually a tomboy, so I was out, you know, tossing the basketball around, throwing the football, digging for things. Yes, yes, I love digging in the dirt, I love climbing trees. I had a real aversion to dresses and you know, looking pretty, and um, my mom didn't really care for that, but I would prefer to be in just baggy shorts and a t-shirt, just out exploring. And that's the stuff you can get dirty in. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Are you yeah. collecting stuff, bringing it home? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I love to go to the pond by our house and get the pollywogs. We brought the pollywogs home. We'd look at them, and at one point, I think at Christmas time, I got a microscope. So you could put the polywogs underneath the microscope and look at things. So yes, yes, I was very curious as a child um, about all things nature. You know, frogs, bugs, lightning bugs, all of that sort sort of thing. So yeah. And did that carry on through your school year ages? You know, I it, it probably did. I mean, being a tomboy, um, you know, I I I was fascinated by a lot of it. I loved animals. I mean, growing up, we had dogs. And, um, yeah, I mean, I, I would prefer, you know, if I was given the chance, obviously, to spend my free time or just, just spend time out, outdoors. I wasn't a big reader, so I did spend a lot, lot, lot more time outdoors than indoors, actually. You were also an athlete. I was an athlete. You used to do some crazy stuff. I was an athlete. You did know, that start in your youth as well? Uh, it did. It, you know, I, I will admit this now, but I actually was a cheerleader at one point in junior high school. And then when I was in, um, when I got a little bit older, I played basketball. I ran track, which I really enjoyed. And then it, I actually went to the University of Cortland, became a physical education teacher. Um, obviously, I, I came from a long line of physical education teachers. And so Cortland was the obvious choice. So there I spent a lot of time, obviously, uh, you know, getting a degree in it, but also participating in some of the sports there as well. Um, later, the later years after I graduated and moved from Corning um, down to uh, Virginia, I actually um, really enjoyed, I started running. So I enjoyed running and I started running a few 10Ks and then half marathons, and then obviously most people, once they start doing that, uh -oh. they get on that trajectory of, well, I'll just do one marathon. And I said to myself, I will train for one. I did one, and then of course the next day, I'm like, where do I sign up for the next one? And that kind of continued. You know, I actually got into rowing as well. I was on the Capitol rowing crew team down on the Potomac for quite a, lot, quite a while as well, which I really enjoyed. Um, and then I became not so much. I, I, bi biathlons, triathlons too, I kind of dabbled in. 
the the running and the biking and the swimming and then I really didn't like the swimming so much so I became a biathlete so I ran and biked quite a bit as well so I was quite active were you fishing this whole time you know I wasn't I dabbled a little bit in it but not really I was I was um, you know busy teaching and busy with my my running and my sports so I didn't didn't as as much in the early years I moved from Corning to Virginia to Annadale actually in 1981 to teach at Marymount Junior School. There there was a, a, a junior school that was attached to the Gossett University now, but it was a college then. It was an all women's college. Scott Ron. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Off of Glebe Road actually, and so I was I was hired to be the phys ed teacher there, and I ended up um, working a little bit with the colleges, being an assistant athletic director as well. And so I was really busy with that, but dabbled in fishing just a little bit. I didn't have a lot of time. Even up in New York and Cortland, up near you know, the, the tribs. No, not not at that point. I was busy getting my education and you know doing doing other things. But no, I, I my fishing actually started once I moved to Virginia, and in 1996, I really thought that. Fishing, I love fishing, but I, I saw that fly fishing was an interesting, uh, interesting thing, and I thought, you know, I'll look around for where I could take a course or a class or something. So I ended up in 1996 taking a one-day fly fishing class with Phil Gay, who runs Trout and About. Mm -hmm. Sold me my first vice. When he was hanging out with Grizzly at the old sure. Angler's Lie in Cherrydale. And that would have been in Cherrydale, right, right. And in fact, once I took his class, he gave me a list of, uh, with the materials that were given in the class, a list of flies that you should have to put in your box. So I literally went to that store. He was actually working there. And so he helped me purchase uh, you know, a myriad of flies to put in my box to start my fly fishing career. So it was a one-day class. Out in Leesburg, I think it was. Do you yeah. still have any of the flies? That's just history. You know, if I, I think if I, if I looked through my boxes, I might find a few. But, you know, th this was, what, 1996. That's a long time ago. Were people saying, oh, you're doing this because of that fishing movie? You mean A River Runs Through? Yeah, were people no, like, oh, no. you're just hopping on the bandwagon. No, no, I just, you know, as we've already talked about, since I was a tomboy, since I loved to be outdoors... Since I started fishing when I was five, I think it was, for me, it was just a, just a natural right. progression to do something a little bit different. You know, I, I love the look of it. I love watching people do it. I just didn't know how to, to do it at that right. point until the opportunity presented itself. To As in the 90s, you couldn't fish without someone mentioning the movie. Sure. Oh, That's oh why I was... well, that, that would be the first. Did you see the movie A River Runs Through It? You know, and, and of course, everybody did at that point. And it's a beautiful movie. And, you know, I... I probably have seen it 20 times since then. So, um, you know, I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's, I, I, the interesting thing about, of course, later on in my fly fishing career, I actually went to, met Jason Borger, who did some of the casting scenes and A River Runs Through It, and went to his casting institute out at Hubbard's Lodge in Yellowstone, um, or no, li near Livingston. And he, to commemorate the actual movie and his, a part that he played in the movie, he literally developed or designed a fly rod that was pretty contemporary to the one that he actually used in the movie. 
and I actually have one of those rods. Really? Yes, he did. He did shadow casting. I think he did 20 of them to commemorate the 20 year anniversary, and he had a few left. And so I have a numbered copy of one of the rods. Really? Yeah. Does that get fished? I, I yes, it does on special occasions. In fact, I was just out at Harmon's Cabins in West Virginia, and I fished with it all weekend and had nice. wonderful luck. Yeah. All right. So back. To Phil Gay, did you have, was he your mentor? Were there any other mentors that were helping you along that you looked up to? You know, at that point, I basically took what he shared in that half a day course and I just went out and fished some of my local streams. At that point, I can safely say I was probably the only female that was out on some of the rivers. That was like Akatank, Lake Fairfax, where they used to stock, you know, stock the little streams that came off the lakes. And so I just took what I learned and practiced it. Most of the people that I met were very nice. I think they were curious about a female being on the water. Um, and I, you know, I, I just took what I learned and I, and I practiced it on the river and I caught some fish. And I, and I think that the, 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 the guys that I were with, you know, spent the most time with were really curious at it. Um, and I think they were, I think they thought it was a kind of a neat thing because it was different. That's, that's really how I pretty much started fly fishing most of the local urban fisheries, actually. And when did you meet Leah? I met Leah in 1991. Um, we, I was actually living in a group home in Alexandria, Virginia. And she answered an ad because we had a, a room that was available. And we got to know each other, friends at first, and it kind of progressed from there. And you know, it's been since 1991. 40. Well, 28, 29 years, and we were married. And we didn't, we didn't really, you know, race into anything. We didn't jump into anything. We got married in 2014. So. And now you can. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Things are changing. Yes. So when did you get into guiding? When did you just say, you know what, I'm gonna. Right. Start taking people out. Was it a professional thing at first, or were you just casually people are like, you know what? I see you casting. Can you show me how to do that? I think it was a little bit of both. You know, being a, a being a school teacher, you know, I, I was comfortable teaching individuals things. Um, so, and I would, you know, at that point, I had quite a passion for for fly fishing, and I thought, wouldn't it be great to put it together? And people would ask me could you show me how to do this? And I was a member of Chesapeake Women Anglers at that, that point. And we had had a luncheon, um, and there was a woman who, who spoke at the luncheon. Her name was Sally Stoner. We were talking a little bit about her experiences, and she had said she had gone to guide school. And I said, well, you know what, Sally? I, I would kind of like to consider doing that, you know, putting together my teaching skills um, and my fly fishing skills at this point. And she said, well, if you do it, Look up Lori Ann Murphy from Real Women. It's she, she was the founder of the Real Women Guide School. So I kind of tucked that in the back of my head. And in 2001, Lee and I drove out west, our epic trip to Montana. And when we were out there on the way, we listened to The Alchemist that was narrated by Jeremy Irons. And he was talking, the, the whole story is talking about your personal legend and, you know, why you end up do, doing what you're doing and, and you know, what your purpose is. So we spent a week um, in Montana in the Unabomber cabin, as I called it. It was a tiny little cabin on the, the Gallatin River. 
And then the next part of our journey, we went down to Jackson Hole. We stayed in a bed and breakfast. And Lee said to me, you know, we've gone to 14 states already. Idaho is only 13 miles over the Teton Pass. I said, well, I want to go fish the Snake River. She goes, no, let's, let's take the dogs and let's go over the Teton Pass and go to Idaho. So we do that, and there's the big sign, welcome to Idaho. I stand in front of it. I get my picture. I said, now, can I go back and fish the Snake River? And she said, no, no, no. Victor, Idaho's just down the road. Let's go to Victor. I said, I don't want to go to Victor. I want to go back and fish the Snake River. Long story short, we ended up driving into Victor, very small little town, and we, there's an Orifice fly fishing store right there. She pulls in. We jump out of the car. She goes, oh, let's just go in. So we go in, and there's, a, there's this very, very tall woman. I personally thought she was staying on a box behind the sort of the fly box, you know, the fly shelf. We started talking to her, and I said, you know, my name is Kiki Galvin, and this is my partner, Lee Harvey, and we're out here visiting. And I said, you know, since we're out here, let, can I ask you a question? Have you ever met Lorianne Murphy, or do you know who she is? And she says, I am Lorianne Murphy. And I looked at her, and I said, you're kidding me, right? She says, no, I'm Lorianne Murphy. I had no idea where this woman lived. I had no idea what she looked like, and here we are in this small little town in Victor, and there she is in the fly shop. So I told her, I said, I talked to Sally Stoner. Oh, Sally, she took my guide school. She recommended that I actually take your guide school. And so Lee turned to me and said, remember the alchemist? Remember the personal legend? This is what you're meant to do. And she said, you know, the, the really strange thing about the whole idea that I'm never in the fly shop. She said, the only reason I'm here today, I'm usually out guiding, is my fly shop person, Kim, is actually pregnant and she's having a sonogram today, so I decided to stay in the shop. Otherwise, she, she wouldn't have been there. So the whole story of being told, yeah, you know, if you go to guide school, you know, look up Lorianne Murphy, not knowing where she lived, not knowing what she looked like, and ending up finding this woman in Victor, Idaho, was incredible. So that's, she said, and I, you know, if you want an application to go to guide school, I will give it to you, and next June, you can come back and go to my guide school. I got to do the drive again? I flew. No, I flew out to, to Montana. Does Leah fish? You know what? She does a little bit. She doesn't have the patience for it that I do. I'm a sort of a first light to last light person. She doesn't have the patience, so she will come sometimes. She'll spend a few hours, and then she'll go on her way and do something different, which is fine. I mean, we have, we have different... Um, you know, hobbies and interests, and I, I think that's, you know, that's that's a way a relationship should be. So, because, yeah, I, I love to be out first light, and I could fish to last light. All right, so the next year, you get a plane ticket, and you fly out. I do. Leave yeah. her behind so she can do her hobbies mm -hmm. and, and watch the dogs. And watch the dogs, right, absolutely. And I flew out to, I think it was Bozeman. Did they pick me up in Bozeman? And the school was actually... Where we stayed was Three Rivers, and I do believe, do believe that was in Ashton, Idaho. And we proceeded to, to go through the, the school. And, you know, with guide school, you learn it, it's not really about the fishing as much as it is about the business of actually guiding. Um, you know, liability issues, business issues, safety issues. But I did, you also get to learn how to row a boat, a drift boat, and... That was interesting for me. Um, you also had to learn how to back it in 
and put the boat in the water, which is, a, you know, an interesting experience in and of itself. I think I got an award for the worst person doing that. But anyway, um, that's just me. That's just that's just me. Um, but you do learn a lot. And I met some wonderful people. And Lorianne, um, you know, she, she's an incredible individual. And, you know, if there's there are people that I look up to, she would be one individual that, you know, started a long time ago um, in the fly fishing community and, you know, sort of set her own, you know, set her own pace and did her own thing and made her own mark. And um, so I was extremely happy to, you know, to meet her and actually go to her guide school. So she taught me a lot. And then you got a plane ticket back? I did. I flew back. Well, prior to leaving, you know, people said to me, well, you're going to be, you live on the East Coast, are you going to actually row a drift boat? And I said, oh no, that's way too much work. Probably most of my guiding and teaching will be walkwayed. But they said, well, what are you going to, I mean, you know, it's going to be a business for you. What are you going to call your business? And two seconds, it blurted out of my mouth, misguided. Well, that's one question. I don't need to no. yes. cross that out. Chuck, yeah, chuck that one off. Yeah, I said misguided. And they're like, well, that's brilliant. And I'm like, well, it it just, that's just what came to mind. Um, and so my motto is don't be misled when you can be misguided, actually. Um, and it's catchy and it's worked for me, you know. Um, and, and once I got back to, to Virginia, had a few business cards, you know, printed up. And of course, I, I had um, joined my Trout Unlimited uh, chapter by that point. And so I, I felt it was always very important to be a part of a conservation organization as well. And, um, you know, once you become a guide, you, you really, you start attending fly fishing shows and seminars and you network quite a bit. And I really started considering the volunteer aspect of my fly fishing journey because I met Phil Gay's wife, Carol Stevenson, who happened to be a part of Casting for Recovery. And that was in 2001, actually. And she asked me if I would be willing um, to to spend some time and to volunteer for that organization. And I was more than happy to do it. Um, it, you know, it Casting for Recovery is a, a great organization, works with women who are recovering from breast cancer. And, you know, the casting motion and fly fishing in general, very, very healing. It's very rhythmic and continuous. And so I began that aspect of it by becoming a, on volunteer staff for Casting for Recovery. At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. That gave me the opportunity to meet a, you know, a group of women, uh, a special group of women who are all on the same journey because they're dealing with breast cancer. But then having them be a part of Casting for Recovery, we gave them another group to be a part of. It's just a fly fishing, you know, a group as well. So it, it was a neat experience. Um, you know, I, I had the honor of meeting many, many women and working with them and helping them to, to deal with their journey and their recovery. And, you know, had the opportunity to 
to be lead casting instructor at some of the retreats, also just river helper. Uh, I did co co-coordinate one of the retreats one year because Carol was sick, which was really neat, a very interesting experience. And then just being on staff to do whatever they needed to be done, you know, teaching knots or talking about entomology and bugs and and things like that. So um, I, it was a profound experience in my life. And once you see, you know, the healing properties of, of actually fly fishing, you know, if you have an op other opportunity, I, I always took it if I could. And, and I was, it, I attended a fly fishing show in 2000 and I think it was seven. So it was six years after Casting for Recovery that I met Ed Nicholson, who was the founder of Project Healing Waters. And so I got involved with with that organization in 2007. And the premise is the same, you know, they're the healing properties uh, of fly fishing and fly casting and, you know, um, just, just the hydrology and the hydrotherapy that goes along with individuals standing in the water while they're fishing. And was able to, to, to go to the Walter Reed, which was where the program was founded, and, and volunteer working with wounded vets, uh, men and women. And same premise, you know, it's very therapeutic and very healing. And once again, the entire experience, it was such an honor and a privilege to be able to deal with some of these men and women to help them uh, deal with their with their um, with their journey. You see, men and women. It was a lot of kids. Yes, very young, very young individuals. Like straight out of high 19, school. 19, 20-year-olds, absolutely. You know, and at that point, also, you, you deal with the vet, but you also get involved and meet the family, the wives, the husbands, the, the moms the children, are always so young. The moms, absolutely. So their again, kids had just left and yes. now mm -hmm. they're caring for them again. Yes. Yes. That was that was really hard for me. Yes. I completely agree with you there. And um yeah, I mean it it um but again, as I said, and I know you feel the same way, what an honor and a privilege to be able to to be a part of it, you know, and kind of give back. I mean, you know, Freedom isn't free, mm -hmm. and um, you know, for them to protect and fight for this country, it's the least we could do. So. What other groups? You did the Mayfly Project Two Fly last year, mm -hmm. which will be coming back this October. Yes, October twenty-sixth, I think. Absolutely. Yes. It, it, again, another organization, a different group of of um, deserving individuals, foster children. The Mayfly Project actually reaches out and works with kids in foster care and foster homes. Again, taking individuals, um, you know, and giving them, if, they, if, if they're in, you know, a foster care, you know, they don't, they don't have a family. They have individuals around them and they're caretakers, but it's nice to be able to, to give them sort of a fly fishing family, bring them out into nature, help them to enjoy um, you know, fishing in a way that maybe they've never had the experience. And I think, you know, you help them to have a little bit more confidence. And, and I do believe that the Mayfly Project is able to highlight these children for adoption, which is wonderful. Um, and so I've just started volunteering with them, and we did um, the, the two-fly tournament last year. And it was a fundraiser. Obviously, all of these organizations, whether you're Casting for Recovery, Project Healing Waters, or Mayfly Project, you know, they all need 
they all need uh, financial support. So I was honored to be the tournament director for the first inaugural, I think, Mayfly. Uh, I think it was um, Foster the Rise, I think the, the title of the, of the event was. And it was a great event. And again, I, I think we were successful enough um, at the first one to return to Rose River Farm in Syria, Virginia, and have our, you know, have our second annual one. So I look How much to that. time a week do you donate? You've well, been given awards not only by Project Healing Waters, but also Virginia Fly Fishing and mm -hmm. Wine Festival. Right, right. You, I mean, for people that donate their time in the industry, you're one of the people that I think of as oh, wow. one of the most generous. Well, thank you. Thank you for the kind words. Um, well, I mean, let's just put it this way. I'm actually, uh, I'm not even a full-time fly, fly fishing guide. I have my own personal training company called Move. And so I, I still have clients that I work with during the day. Uh, on Wednesdays, I do go to Walter Reed. Um, and I have been doing that since 2007, almost every Wednesday. I mean, obviously there are times when I, I you know, can't make it. But I try to be a regular um, person uh, on staff to be there because I do quite a bit of the instruction whether it's um, you know, not tying or casting or you know um, seminars on you know what trout eat or where trout live so um, I do that and then I'm the vice president of our trout unlimited the northern Virginia uh, chapter of trout unlimited and so and I I think it's since 1996 but not I haven't been vice president since then but I've been involved in the chapter since then so and vice president I don't know how many years it's been a while so we have, we have a meeting once a month that I usually attend, and then we have a board meeting that I attend. And I did, with, with uh, Project Healing Waters, did serve on their, their board of directors for, for a few years as well. So, I mean, I, I try to balance it out, you know, with my personal training and with my, with my volunteer activities. And then, obviously, um, you know, I enjoy fishing enough to eke out a little bit of time to say I'm going to, go out fishing myself, you know, just because I enjoy that. It centers me, it fills me up. But I, I guess I have chosen in my, in my journey or adventure or just being a part of the, the fly fishing community that the important aspect for me is just giving back, um, taking the time that I do have. And again, a lot of it is because of my wife, Lee, who supports me in what I'm doing and I'm able to actually give a little bit, little bit more of my my time in volunteering, um, so I don't know how many hours, but um, you know, and it's been it, it's been wonderful, and I've been extremely grateful over the years that that some of my time and what I've given to these organizations has been recognized and in some of the awards. And certainly, you never do it for that, but it is always nice. It's I appreciate being appreciated, um, so uh, that's that's part of it. That's nice. Nice to be recognized. Yeah. How did you get involved with Temple Fork Outfitters? Jeez, you know, uh, I, the the project the, the uh, project Healing Waters Two Fly for as many years as we've had it. Temple Fork TFO Temple Fork Outfitters has always been a presence there, and I think I just got to know some of the rep the representatives. I got to know, um, you know, the original owner and founder, Rick Pope, and of course Lefty Craig was always there, and a few of the other people. Steve Monahan, who is, I think, one of their reps on the East Coast. I think I actually offered Rick Pope. I think I, I spoke directly to Rick Pope, and I, I asked him. I said, I would love to represent your company um, if you'd have me. And he 
put his arm around me and said we would be we would love to have you and um, I thought it was important not only to represent um, you know a product that I thought was a wonderful product but also being female it was nice to be a part of a, an organization that that more females were were ambassadors of too because you know in the fly fishing community you know in the marketplace I think it's always good when you have representatives from both genders that are um, involved with your program. And I think that's important in anything. I think it's important, you know, that's why I became um, a part of Trout Unlimited is I thought that, you know, it would be nice for a female to be on the board because at meetings, if a woman's standing up there and represented, then other females that, that would come to a meeting would feel a little bit more comfortable. So that was just important. I thought, you know, I'm just going to put myself out there and he he said it would be an honor to have you a part of our our family because I consider the TFO a real family they're a wonderful organization and what I love about Temple Fork Outfitters is the fact that their product the price point and their product is specifically made to be inclusive to all anglers and that's really important as we move forward. I think it's it's important to to invite and encourage other individuals to be a part of the fly fishing community. And that kind of brings me to to the next, I think, push that we all should be concerned about is just getting our children involved in fishing and involved in nature. I, I think that a lot of us spend a lot of time talking about the male, female gender and the, you know, the percentage of, of who's on the water and who's buying products. But, you know, most importantly now, I think that because of social media, you know, there's, there's so many more, I think, women on the water, which is great. And social media, media has been a great part of that. I think it's highlighted a lot of contributions of many women throughout the United States and the world, actually. But I think it's important now that we really join forces and get our children out on the water because they are our future and they need to have a greater understanding and appreciation for cold, clean water and our natural resources. So, you know, take a kid fishing, I think, is a great, a great thing to get involved in. And um, I love to teach and I love to teach children. So you know, so they can kind of carry on what we've enjoyed all these years. They pick it up faster. They really do. Women they, and children yes. always pick it up. They listen. They Well, I think part of it is they listen. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, my, again, over the years, when I, when I instruct individuals on, especially casting, you know, I've always used for a long, long time, very simple, very easy is the answering the telephone, the hello, it's for you. You know, it, it helps It helps children to, to understand how to make the casting stroke. And I've had children who come to me many, many years later and say, you know, Miss Galvin or Miss Kiki, hello, it's for you. And their parents are like, hello, it's for you. And it's just something that's kind of perpetuated itself over the years. I didn't come up with it. I couldn't tell you where I read it or saw it or even heard it. But I really try to keep it as simple as possible when I'm teaching and use, you know, very simple verbal and visual cues that individuals can, can, you know, take 10, 15 minutes with an instructor and then walk away and be able to remember it and be able to share that with other people who, 
who might ask, well, how do you actually fly cast? And they can say, you know, let me show you. If you own a telephone, let's talk about answering the telephone and handing that telephone off. So they're able to actually teach and instruct individuals very simply. So that's always been my the kids listening. Speaking of children. You mentioned women fly fishing. You were featured in Blue Ridge magazine. I was. Was yes. what six women fly anglers you need to have on your radar? I yeah I yeah I have to I don't you know I have the magazine at home but I think it was I think six or ten women who who have been who are, are influential in um, the angling community and I think it you know the article was broad enough to include you know I'm. As I tell people, I stepped in the, into the proverbial stream a long, long time ago. So I'm, you know, I'm a little bit older, but there were women who were featured in that article who were younger. So you know, it kind of spans generations as well, which is really nice. Um, you know, because as as being a female angler, you know, I always looked up to the women who came before me, uh, Joan Wolfe and Fanny Krieger, and there's so many other women um, that you know, that actually paved the way. And so it was a nice article. I mean, it was individuals who who were not only, I mean, I live in, on the East Coast, but I do believe there were some women who were featured who lived farther down South, the Southeast. Um, and I knew a handful of those, those women who were in the article. Um, so it was an honor to be, you know, to be among one of the women that has been or have been thought of being influential. Right. You know, so... It's neat. Yeah. Let's talk about your guiding. Mm -hmm. It's mostly cold water, so trout? Yeah, for the most part. What are your uh, territories that you cover with clients? You know, right now, I actually guide in Maryland and Virginia. So, you know, when someone comes to me, and a lot of it's either they see, you know, my, my car, actually, it, it was the, the best investment I ever made in my fishmobile. It just says Misguided Fly Fishing Services with my website. Um, you know, when clients come to me, depending on their skill level, um, you know, we'll talk about where they would, what, you know, what they would like to do, where they would like to go, and then I just kind of decide, given their their previous experience or what they want to do, I kind of pick either uh, a river or a stream in Maryland or something in Virginia, and you know, I mean, Virginia's got great, you know, we've got some spring creeks, we have freestones. You know, we have the Chesapeake Bay, I guess, but but I, I'm pretty much trout streams, so I don't get into the, you know, the striper or anything like that. But so we have great opportunities in the state of Virginia. We have local urban fisheries, which are nice. And then we have, as I said, spring creeks are a little bit farther down south towards Harrisonburg off of 81. There's some nice, nice streams. Um, and, you know, in Maryland, again, they have a lot of freestone streams. They do have a tailwater, the Gunpowder River, which I do a lot of guiding on. I think it's a great resource, you know, it's it's fairly easy to get to, miles and miles of river, e easy access, and again, being a tailwater, it's fishable all year round. So again, you know, in Virginia, sometimes with our freestoners get warm in the summertime, and, and you know, you can't fish them, I'll take people to the gunpowder. What time are you leaving to go meet clients, because it's not an easy area, especially crossing the bridge near you. Oh, well, you know, you're right. It's, you get a really early start. You wait till the traffic kind of, you know, dies down and then you get on the road after, you know, after 9 or 10 o'clock in the, in the morning. But, and again, it depends on how far we're going. It depends on if it's a half day or full day. 
you know, a lot of times with beginners, I do suggest, you know, a half day because I think sometimes a full day is just a little bit overwhelming for them. And I'm a teaching guide, so, you know, it's pretty much custom, whatever they, if they want to learn things, great, we'll put them on a stream. And if they want to learn role casting or mending or anything like that, I, I have no problem with that. I, I love to teach. So we'll combine a little bit of fishing and a little bit of instruction. And, you know, any other questions they come up with? You know, and it, and it really just, again, you know, being a guide, and Rob, you know this, on the East Coast, you know, you, you are really uh, at the mercy of not only weather, but water flows. And, you know, we've had for over the past couple years, actually all last year and a little bit of this spring, we've had so much water that, you know, my clients, you know, I, I, I book them and then I always preface, you know, our, our meeting with, I will monitor the flows, I will monitor the weather, and we'll make a decision sometimes the night before we go somewhere just because it's been very unpredictable with all the high water that we've had. And uh, so I've gotten, I've gotten in a few trips this spring already, and I've had to cancel a few because of, because of the high water and the, and the weather and things like that. But that's the way it goes. Nothing you can do about it. So. What's a typical outfit set up for your clients? You know, for most of the streams here, um, you know, a system, a five-weight, usually, you know, a nine-foot, five-weight rod, five-weight line, I think is pretty suitable. You know, they can fish ponds, they can fish lakes, they can fish the freestone streams, they can fish the tailwaters. You know, if you if you want to get down and do some warm, warm water bass fishing, which I do every once in a while, you can overline a five-weight, put a six-weight line on it, and you can handle the bass too as well. So I, I, that's that's generally what I what I really do advise people to buy in the beginning is a five weight system, and you know then once they get further into their you know journey or adventure, you know they can start to you know to to um, buy a little lighter rods for maybe Shenandoah National Park for the brookies. You know the smaller the smaller fish, shorter rod. And if they want to get into, as I said, a little bit more bass fishing, maybe some shad fishing, they can start looking at the heavier systems. But I think it's a good, I think a five weight is a great system to start off with. Do you have a particular favorite season or hatch you prefer to guide? Well, I think in this area, I think spring, if you're looking at a sulfur hatch, they're, they're beautiful yellow bugs, you know, um, mayflies are gorgeous. And... They're pretty prolific around here. I think you can find them on quite a few of the streams that I guide on, especially the gunpowder is very famous for their sulfur hatch. And That's ephemerella Dorothea? Well, I think on, on the gunpowder, they do, I do believe, we have the Dorothea, we have the, um, the Inveria, and I do believe there's a rotund. So I think there's three sizes um, that actually hatch out up there. So, um, and it's, it's always, I always tell my clients, if we can hit the hatch properly, it's, a, it's an amazing thing to see, especially if you really get a good hatch. What's your go-to fly for a sulfur hatch? Um, well, I mean, any, any of the sulfur patterns, obviously, you know, I, I always carry some nice parachutes and some, some nice duns and... You know, you can even, to be very honest with you, you can, e you can even, if you don't have a sulfur pattern, you can even throw a small stimulator with a yellow-bodied body stimulator. Anything with a yellow body on it 
pretty much can do the trick in the beginning. Once the, you know, once the fish get a little bit more, as I say, edumacated, they start to get picky and they won't look at anything like that. But I was up in Harmon's Cabins this weekend in West Virginia and we were having a nice sulfur hatch and I just threw on a big old yellow bodied stimulator and caught some really nice fish on, you know, a stimmy, which nice. was awesome. That fly just seems to cover caddis. Yeah, it does. It's caddis, absolutely. Stone. It floats well. Your clients can see it, um, which is always a very important thing when you're guiding individuals, that they can see their fly and where their fly is on the water. And so, um, yeah, yeah, I, I, I think the sulfur hatch. And I love, you know, if we get closer into the summertime, I love me some ants. Give me an ant, any size, any color, and that's always fun as well, too. Trout love ants, fish love ants, and ants are all over the place. So. Yes, there are more of them than us. Yes. Are you using an indicator with those ants or dropped it behind something bushy? Um, to be honest with you, uh, not really. I mean, usually it's just, it's just, um, I find with some of my clients, depending on the size of the ant, you know, they're small and they're dark, that I usually use, um, I'll put a little floating on it, but I'll use some frog's fanny and I'll put the, paint the frog's fanny actually on the ant. And it's white. Frog's fanny is that white desiccant powder and I don't blow it off. And it, it's a wonderful cider and, and it makes that ant nice and bushy and fluffy and white. So when you throw it out there in the current, my clients can actually see it. Um, I have been known to actually sink ants as well, put a little mm -hmm. split shot on um, and sink the ants because all terrestrials drown eventually. And that's been very productive as well. I don't necessarily use an indicator and drop an ant off of it. I don't see any reason why you couldn't, especially if you're using a little bit of a split shot and you're, it's sunk, but um, I don't normally do that. I usually, I generally start completely top water, you know, just start right on the surface and, and see what happens and then go from there, so, but. Any strange stories you could tell? You got a favorite one of just a bizarre day? Oh, gosh. Um, well, it, you know, one time, it, this wasn't with a client, but it was it was with myself, where I was fishing, I think it was Morgan Run. This was many, many years ago. And you always heard the fact that, you know, if a fish bites your fly or hits your fly, it gets sore lips, it won't hit again. You can't catch them over and again. Well, I actually, and this is one time when I was actually fishing a woolly bugger, a streamer underneath an indicator. And I was fishing a nice, nice deep pool, and... Um, I hooked into a nice trout, and the trout literally broke the my line, my leader, above my indicator. So you just see this thing swimming around? So jaws. yes, it had the it had the streamer, the woolly bugger in its mouth. It then it had the indicator above on the line above that. And it was swimming around the pool, and I said, Well, I'm just gonna rest you a little bit. I walked upstream, about an hour later I came back. I could see where the fish was swimming in the pool because I could see the indicator. It was like a little buoy. I caught him again. I got the woolly bugger back, I caught the fish, and I got my indicator back. So he ate another fly with one stuck in his mouth? He did. Strange. Piggy. But it was just but to see the indicator. I could see him where he was swimming around the pool. Right. He'd go a little bit deeper. It would disappear, and then he'd come back up. And I said, that's really odd because you always heard that generally trout wouldn't feed or hit again on yeah. something, but it did. With a whole set of tackle hanging out of his mouth. Yes, yes. So that was a very, 
interesting experience, actually, to be honest with you. Do you worry about bears when you're up in the park? I do sometimes. So Morgan's Run, that's in S&P. No, actually, no. Morgan Run is up in Maryland off of, I think it's, oh gosh, I can't remember the route number now. Just trying to place it for the... No, but but when I'm in the park fishing, of course, I think anybody should be aware of of the wildlife up there. Bears, sneaky snakes, as I call them, you know, um, ticks, you know, all that kind of stuff yeah. you have to be aware of um, when you're fishing. And of course, people say to me, do you do a lot of wet wading? I'm like, you know, no. And generally what comes out of my mouth is snakes, ticks, and poison ivy. So generally I wear, if not full waders, I'll wear you know, hip waders or and something like that. Stinging nettle where you are. Stinging Don't have nettle. that where I work. Yeah, no, that can be another problem. I mean, you just have to be, you know, aware and be careful. You know, um, you know, not not only when you're out fishing, but especially if you have someone out there with you, a client. You know, you certainly don't want to have them have any issues like that while they're fishing. That'll ruin their fishing experience. So, you just safety first. You know, you always make sure that, you know, that they have a waiting staff and they have eyewear and. Sunscreen and a hat and, you know. How do you protect yourself from the sun? I, I use, you know, SPF 50 now because I've already had one bout with uh, melanoma grade zero. Thank God um, it didn't go any farther. But I wear hat generally. I don't wear sun gloves as much, but I always keep long sleeves and, you know, apply the sunscreen to my hands and my face and my neck. and my. The one problem I do have, the issue is I can't find something to, to um, put on my lips that really keep my lips from burning. So that's one issue I have. I don't think a lot of people do, but for some odd reason... Dermatone lip balm. Dermatone lip balm. Oh, yeah, Dermatone is awesome. Okay, well, I have to, I have to get some of that. But, yeah, um, they used to sell it at Orvis. Mm -hmm. I don't know where now, but yeah, that's the sunscreen yeah. I use. Because okay. you can touch fly line, okay, and well, it won't deteriorate. Well, see, and that's, that's good, too, because if you're using something that, yeah. And it's unscented. Yes, so fish and, can't and obviously, you, yes, you don't want to be tying your flies on with some horrible scented sunscreen, and, you know, we all know what happens when you do that. Right. <laughs> yeah. So no one's really discussed the gunpowder. Do you want to talk a little bit more about that? You pique some interest for people to go with you there as well. Well, Where is it located? Right. I know you go up towards Lancaster, Harrisburg, and you pass sure, it. Sure, yeah. Uh, for me, f you know, I jump on 495 to, up through Silver Spring, jump on 95, Take 695 to 83, and exit is Mount Carmel Road. I do believe it's it's north, uh, north east, northwest, northeast, northwest of, of Towson, Maryland. So from my doorstep to the actual stream, it's about 90 miles or so, give or take. And as I said before, it's a tailwater, which is you know, is important in the fact that depending on the flows, you know, you can fish it all year because the temperature of the water is. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecovis store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. 
Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. It's cold enough to support the wild trout population, which is, which is great. You do have to monitor the flows, obviously, because it is the main water source for the, for the city of Baltimore. So um, they will release water from the dam, whether it's from the top of the dam or, or you know, the bottom of the dam, depending on, depending on the uh, temperatures. I thought they just drank Natty Bow in Baltimore, whether <laughs> there's any water involved. <laughs> no, they, they drink it out of the Gunpowder River. So, you know, you do have to monitor the flows and, um, you know, know your temperatures. I mean, generally, the, the temperatures stay 40s, 50s which is nice. Um, in fact, it, see, it's really a tailwater, especially the gunpowder, is one of the experiences I've had where you can actually, on a really, really hot day, you can get heat stroke and you can get hypothermia at the same time. Because if you're standing in hip waste water that's 48 degrees and you've got 90 degrees or 100 degrees temperature, that's, that's a huge difference. So it's kind of an interesting thing. And it does create the, um, I call it the, the ghost mist depending on, I, I do believe it's the uh, barometric, not barometric pressure, but the dew point, the temperature of the water and the air, it will create this really ghost mist that appears on the water. And it can come and go in seconds. And um, it's a really neat experience to see if you're there when it happens. And it can just come right down the river and it envelops you. In fact, it, at times it's so thick where if you're fishing, you could be fishing and the only, the only way you know you've got a strike is, you, you, I mean, you listen. For, for the noise of the, of the actual fish taking your fly, but you can't see it. I mean, that's how thick it can actually be. And last summer, or not last summer, last spring, I was actually fishing a, a sulfur hatch where it got so thick, I literally could not see my line or my fly. I just listened for the take. And it was that, again, that was just another really neat experience. But the gunpowder, you know, there's a fly shop up there. There are many access points. It's it's easy waiting in many parts of it, and there are, you know, nice parking lots and things. You're not out in the middle of nowhere, which is good for safety reasons for people. It's a community access. I mean, you have the tuber hatch, you have the canoe hatch, you have the kayak hatch, you have the drunk tuber hatch that come down the river. So it's, it's, it's a community resource, but it's full of wild trout, and it's, you know, it's a lot of fun, you know, depending on whatever season you fish up there. But as I said, in the summertime, when the terrestrials are out, it's fun to take beginners because, you know, if you're a beginner fly caster, you're working on your, your casting stroke. With, with the terrestrials and ants and beetles and grasshoppers in the summertime, all you do have to do is slap your, your fly on the water. So I tell people, just make the sloppiest cast you can, ring the dinner bell, because once those fish hear that hit in that water, you know, game on. So that's my favorite time actually to guide up there is is either during the sulfur hatch or in the summertime when we can throw ants and beetles and grass grasshoppers. But um, yeah, I mean, it, and it's as I said, it's a great resource. It's not it's not a difficult drive. There's a fly shop up there, and um, you know if anybody's interested, I'd love to introduce them to the to the gunpowder. You have a lunch spot up there. I do. You know, I it's interesting you mentioned that. There is a plaque at the Maysmore access point, and it is to commemorate 
our beloved Lefty Cray. And so very often I have lunch with Lefty right on his, it, it faces the, this, the river. Peanut butter jelly. Peanut butter and jelly because that was his favorite, that was his favorite sandwich. And so I do very often have lunch with Lefty and sit on his rock and talk to him and have lunch. And if my client's there, we'll talk a little bit about his legacy and, you know, how much he meant to all of us. And, you know, my personal experience with him over the years, you know, uh, repping for Temple Fork Outfitters. And so it's kind of a really neat, really neat experience. And, um, you know, I do obviously fish with Temple Fork Outfitter rods. And so, you know, I think he's very, he's smiling. I know that. You know, I know he's smiling down upon us. He's got too small. Yep, exactly. Sweet man. She's got a hat signed by him, but yeah. she doesn't know, like, the yeah the, the, the value history. and fishing and, and what it's sure, worth. Sure, Bright yeah. yellow TFO hat. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think she's snoring now. Okay. No problem. Where do you travel to fish when you're not working? Well, you know, I think there's some great... Uh, water. I, I do a lot of fishing in Pennsylvania, you know, whether it's uh, near Chambersburg, you can fish the Latorte, Falling Springs, Big Spring, or if you want to go towards State College and fish Spruce and Spring and Fisherman's Paradise. And I love the, I, I love me some brook trout. I love my, my brook trout. So I'll very often go into Shenandoah National Park. Um, most people, when, when you mention Shenandoah National Park, they'll say the Rapidan River which is one of my favorite spots to go. You've got a place out there. Uh, yes, my wife and I actually own a cabin. Um, it's on Lydia Mountain, and it's a rental. So, you know, when we're not there, we rent it out. But it's five minutes from the swift run gap at, Na at Shenandoah National Park. So it, it really gives us an opportunity when I'm not fishing. We'll drive up into the park. You know, we have dogs who so we love to hike. There are a lot, plenty of wineries around there, so we'll go to the wineries. And it's a nice place just to, to get away. And... The park is the park is, you know, absolutely beautiful, and it's got many, you know, it's the east slope and the west slope of the park, and it's got, you know, sports many many uh, brook trout streams. It just depends on how adventurous adventuresome you are as far as how far you're gonna walk in and find some and of those blue liners. Shape, so yeah, they really are great for you. you yeah, with your mm -hmm. work, you've got to be able to just go up and down those mountains. Yeah, I can. I can. Being a personal trainer and, and sort of a, you know, an, an athlete growing up, yeah, I still have quite a bit of stamina, and um, you know, I I will um, I will hike great distances to to find some nice trout water, and so it's a really neat thing. I mean, it's a, I mean, the Shenandoah National Park is is a wonderful wonderful place, you know, to do as I said, the hiking and the sightseeing and the fishing, and you know, it's got such history behind it, so. Um, you know, I would I would always um, encourage people who have never been there, um, you know, to, to take a trip and just drive the park and do a little hiking and, you know, see some wildlife. What about international or well, distant let me see. places you can't sure, drive? Sure, sure. Um, you know, I have... Um, you mentioned Iceland? Iceland, absolutely. I, um, I have a friend who does a lot of Atlantic salmon fishing, and my first Atlantic salmon fishing adventure was on the, the mighty Miramichi, the famous Miramichi River, in Canada. And unfortunately, that trip, I caught two very expensive brook trout and left there being a Atlantic salmon virgin. And I did not like that title. So my friend said, well, we could go to Iceland to do some Atlantic salmon fishing. So uh, 2014, I flew to Iceland and met 
five other girlfriends, called them gal pals, there. And we spent um, six days, three days on two different rivers. And I caught my first Atlantic salmon on the Hafralantza River in, um, in Iceland. It was an incredible experience. Could you, you spell that if you tried? Hafralantza? Oh, Lord, no. <laughs> A-H-O-F-R-A-L-O-N-S-A, I think it is. Hafralantza? Um, but Iceland, yeah, it is. It's just got a lot of letters. The, the, it's like Hawaiian. Exactly. Names are really long. Um, but it's a beautiful country. And who knew you could leave from Dulles Airport and it's just like flying to the West Coast. I mean, it was a five or five and a half hour flight. And it's a beautiful country. They're all volcanic, gorgeous, beautiful rivers, um, Beautiful Atlantic salmon. They also have ch uh, Arctic char, Arctic char, and some brown trout as well. Um, both of the rivers that we fished, the Hafralansa, where I caught my first Atlantic salmon, then I could boast the fact that I wasn't a virgin anymore. Um, uh, then caught some more in, in a smaller river called the Vesterdalsa, um, which was another neat experience. And I caught more uh, char there than in the Hafalansa. But um, it was a beautiful, beautiful experience, beautiful country, great experience. And then for my 60th birthday, I actually flew to Patagonia, Chile, um, and stayed at the Coyhaique Lodge in northern Patagonia. And again, incredible country, um, beautiful, beautiful rivers, just fished until I couldn't fish anymore. In fact, the last day that we were there, um, we took our float down, I think it was the Simpson River, and by the end of the trip, I would hook the trout and I would hand it to my guide who was rowing the boat, and I said, could you just please land this? I was so tired of fighting and landing fish that I would actually hand the rod to him and let him land it. It was just, that, that's how many fish, you know, you could catch there. Is that, um, at that point, you start throwing hookless flies? Oh, yes, watch eat. absolutely, and again... Along the way, um, I did have a flask full of some bourbon, so there was a little bit of, um, you know, hoisting the flask when you caught your fish, and after a while, I think it was, you got so relaxed, you're like, hey, here, land my fish. It was a neat, it was a neat time, it really was. I really Bourbon of it. choice? Bullet. Okay. Bullet bourbon, right now. We like, we like the bourbon, the bu bourbon, and we like the bullet bourbon, so yeah. Yeah, you missed Dan, and I finished the pappy. There you go. It was, we drank some for you. It was definitely oh, worth good. it. Oh, good. Excellent. Yeah. No, no, no. Always kind of makes it fun, actually. Are there bucket list destinations of places you want to go? Any species that are on the list? You know, you um, well, I'd still like to get to Alaska, and I do, we do have a trip with um, a, a handful of my girlfriend's gal pals, as I call them, um, coming up in late September to go to Alaska. Um, to I do believe we're going to be swinging for very large rainbows nice. up there. I would love, and I don't know if it's going to be possible to throw some mice, because I love to throw mouse, you know, mice patterns too as well. But, you know, musky. I would like to catch a musky. That's on my bucket list. That's on my, my to-do list to get done. So, as I said to you this evening, take me musky fishing. I don't, that, I'm you know, still learning. Yeah, we can go try ourselves. We should do that. I, I hear that you just, you tie on something as big as it looks like a, a dead squirrel and you just throw it out there. Well, she's a yeah, no. We could put yeah. her in the back of the boat and go put it, turn could, on the lights on the stealth craft. We could do that. We could do that. So, um. Mom's not here. She can't yeah. say anything. <laughs> So I would like to do that. I, w I would love to hook into a muskie and a fly rod. You know, um, again, 
So much water. Get down with Blaine. So little time. Could do it with Blaine. Yeah, there are plenty of people who actually died for them. You know. So we'll see. Right on. We'll see. Yeah. I got some other questions that are yeah. fishing and not necessarily fishing. Mm -hmm. Is there a, a fly you won't throw? You despise. No, not really. <laughs> you know, situa situations dictate it. I will, I will actually throw anything. Now, my my obviously my philosophy is I will catch any species, any way, anyhow, anywhere, as long as it's legal. So no, I don't really have a fly I won't throw. All right. No, no, no. Do you have a favorite piece of just modern gear, something that wasn't available 20, 30 years ago that would have changed your life back then? Gosh, I don't. Um... Hmm. Not really. I mean, I, I, God, that's a, no, I, I, you know, I mean, I, I have gone through, since I started fly fishing, and a lot of people do this, you know, they go through the, the vest, you know, this, this huge thing that you wear and fill up the pockets, and then I went to a fanny pack, um, and then I went to just a lanyard with a few fly boxes and that wasn't enough. And then I love my sling pack. I mean, that's one thing that, that, you know, we didn't have many, many years ago. I like my sling pack. You know, I like, it holds just enough. Who makes it? Um, the one I, the, the one that I actually use now is by Orvis. It's an Orvis sling pack. Um, I, I think it's nice to carry things like a thermometer. You know, to know the temperature of the water, I, it, that's something that I, I didn't didn't even think of many many years ago. Carrying a thermometer to even temp the water to find out if, it, if the fish were even amenable to feeding. Um, so I think always having a thermometer is good. Other than that, gosh, you know, when I started, as I said before, stepping into the stream, the proverbial stream, such a long time ago, uh, there were there virtually was no equipment sized or made for women. So I was slogging around and oversized boots and waders that were too long and big for me and um, so it's nice now 25 I don't know how many years later that that we certainly have uh, companies that that make uh, you know equipment for women and clothes for women so I do appreciate that that that, that my boots fit me and my waders fit me but other than that no, I, I think it's interesting. Um, in fact, this past weekend when I was at Harmon's, I spoke about the trip, that the, there was a gentleman there that actually put a GoPro on me. I had never used a GoPro before. That was very interesting. Mm -hmm. um, I'm interested to see the footage that comes out of it. But that's, again, I think that's something that, that has really kind of, uh, it hasn't revolutionized anything, but it, it's kind of a neat thing to be able to show um, individuals your actual experience as it's happening instead of trying to uh, fumble around with the phone in one hand and the rod in the other I mean it's it's nice to be able to to have the camera the GoPro on you so you don't have to worry about that so I was I that's neat trying to get mine to film I saw the original clunky one yeah. there was a guy I didn't realize at this time he was sh behind us shooting at blue herons with a slingshot hmm. and then there was a confrontation on short I'm like I need to film all this in case something right. goes down well sure there you go, so you'll be able to chronicle that. I got none of it because my thing takes so long to start off. Yeah, well, you know, um, it's uh, it's an interesting, you know, um, tool, I think, to, to actually chronicle. And, of course, the day and age of all of our social media with YouTube, you know, I could sit and watch YouTube video. I'm sure much of it is shot on a, uh, you know, a GoPro of people fishing and their experiences. So I was watching on how to use a baitcaster. 
Well, there you go, because you've got a bait caster yeah. that you found, and you need to, yeah, you need to really know how to sling that thing around. I wouldn't mind, I mean, I, don't, I have no interest in using it to catch a snakehead, but I wouldn't mind throwing a rubber frog, like I see all the people do, Yeah. catch one in the back. Yeah, I was going to catch a big old bass. Yeah. Uh, what's your favorite sandwich you've ever eaten, best sandwich place? Oh, good Lord. You know, you're going to laugh at this, but I love Jimmy John's. I go to Jimmy John's and... In fact, I had one for dinner this evening before I came here. What'd you get on it? Turkey, uh, oregano, lettuce, tomato, a little bit of mayo, and a little bit of the vinegar and oil. Sounds pretty good. I'd eat that right now. Yeah, it was good. If you could have a superpower to make you a better angler, what would you choose? Superhero power. Mm. You know, I don't know about that. I Better angler? Um... Probably a little bit, probably the superpower of being able to go from human form to fishy form. To actually become the fish and know exactly what's going on down there below the surface. I think that would make me a better anchor. That works for me. Yeah. What's the worst place you've ever fished? <laughs> well, I would say fish live in beautiful places. Was there a place that just sucked, like you didn't catch anything, you broke a rod? Something like Alexander's Terrible, No Good, Very Bad Day. Break a shoelace. Oh, that's happened. Well, I've broke, broken my um, my boa boots. That's right. I was going to fix them. I forgot. Not fun. It, it happened this past weekend, so I uh, should have brought it over here for you. Yeah, I can fix those Gosh, quick now. Gosh, you know, um, okay. It's not one specific place, but when you encounter a day when it starts to rain, the water starts to rise, and your waders leak. And once your waders start leaking, it's just bad juju. Everything falls apart from there. You know, it, you're uncomfortable. It's no fun anymore. You're asking yourself, why am I doing this? Why am I here? And that's happened to me several times. I can't be cold and wet. No. No, because you then you, you, you cannot concentrate. You cannot concentrate when you're cold and wet. So that's happened to me a few times. Do you have any irrational phobias? I, I, I'm phobic of lightning. Lightning is the only thing I'm phobic. And for good reason, especially being an angler. You're out there and you can invite a situation. Because you're near water. You've got a lightning rod in your hand. And so, yes, I, I have a real phobia for lightning. Now, I, I have never had, knock on wood, any experience of being struck by lightning. I've been close to it when it's hit, but not virtually struck by it. But there was a time when I was out floating the mighty mo of the Missouri River, and we had a horrible, horrible lightning storm, just bolts coming straight down. And this poor guide and my friend was in the boat, and I was literally, I thought I was going to die. I just said, I hate it, I hate it, I hate it. He says, well, where do you want me to bring you? You know, there's nowhere to go when you're in the middle of the river and there's a lightning storm. So I just sat in the back of the boat and put my hood over the top of my head and I prayed to the dear Lord above that we would be safe. <laughs> Scared the bejesus out of me. Was it loud lightning too? It was loud lightning. Right. It was, the bolts were straight down all around us and it was a horrible experience. Mm -hmm. Are there any urban legends from your hometown? 
the corning monster maybe? No. Is it corning like the cookware? Corning. Yep, yep, corning, yeah, corning one. No, not really. I mean, I can't think of really anything that, any legends, I mean. Well, you know, where we lived, we lived in Irish Hills, which was, you know, up near the woods. So we literally had bears always walking down our street and we had turkey running down our street and we had actually gun holes or, or bullet holes in our siding from people hunting and sh trying to shoot things. Yeah, oh yeah. Were there blind people where you live? No, there weren't blind people. I, I don't know if they just didn't get the direction right, but yeah. I was no, watching no. Deadpool 2 last night and his his roommate's blind, so when they all draw guns, she's pointing <laughs> to the people. <laughs> yeah, well, well, I don't know. I mean, you know, it's, it's anyway, very frightening to think, <coughs> very frightening to think that, that there were more than one at several times. Um, in our sighting. What item of gear, if you left at home, would ruin your day? Guiding or just in general fishing? Uh, well, I mean, obviously, personal. If I if I left my rod home, that that that's a given. Um, I think you know. I think when when you when you plan to go out fishing, and and I always tell this to my gal pals when we get together, you need a checklist. You need to go through your checklist before you get in the car and you go out on your adventure. Because I don't know how many times you'll get to Streamside or Riverside or what have you and you're going through your equipment you're like, I forgot my boots or I forgot my waders. Now, it hasn't happened to me in a long time, but again, if you forgot your rod, that'd be, that kind of, there goes your day. I mean, you can't do much, but... You know, if you don't have your boots, you're in trouble. Two weeks ago, I was just about to get on the beltway. Mm -hmm. I was like, boots, they're in the garage. Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, I'm going to turn around. Mm -hmm. And it's not easy just, I mean, it's not that far to the beltway, but man, it's a haul. Oh, but but then again, if you have traffic, it can take you forever. To yeah. do it. But I always tell my girlfriends and I tell clients, have a mental checklist or a physical checklist before, and you just have it in the back of your car and just go through it before you go on one of your adventures. Because, you know, as you said... There are things that if you got there and you didn't have it, you know, I've had people who improvise, if they don't, they forget their boots, they try to strap their Tevas on, or they've literally gone in the water without their boots on. Yep, we've done you know, that before. You improvise a little bit. With a rod, you know, we're not at the point now where we can just take a, strip, a, a stick off a, a tree and tie a string on it, you know. Homemade Tenkara. Homemade Tenkara would be right, yeah, absolutely. Are there any mistakes you've made that you've learned from? Things you're just like, I can't believe I did that. You know, I learned, well, actually this was a guiding client. Um, I had two guys that wanted to fish and I had two women who wanted to have some casting instruction. So I, I'm like, okay, well, there's nowhere to cast next to the river where we were. So I said, look, this is where I want you to go. Go down this path, walk up here, fish. Well, the water was a little high that day. And I took the women and I did some casting. Well, I, when we reconvened in the afternoon, the guys had an awful time. One fell in, lost his camera, lost his sunglasses. So the val valuable lesson that I did learn is you never set clients out on a river when you're not with them. Um, I only did it once, and I would never, ever do it again. I would have either said to the women, 
you know, let's walk up the river and watch these guys fish for a while. And then I'll take them off the river and we'll go cast and they can watch you cast. And maybe if they want to practice, but I would never, ever do that again. That was, I learned my lesson once. And, you know, it could have been, again, if you always think of safety first and you sent two men up a river and literally they, one of them did fall in. I mean, they could have hurt themselves. I mean, they lost some of their equipment, but so, you know, you're responsible for them. So that was... That was a learning experience for Absolutely. me. Absolutely. Is there a favorite piece of gear that you have? A favorite piece of gear? Um, Something maybe one company just makes better than another? I, you know, I mean, I, I, I generally wear... You know, if you see me out in the river, you know it's me because I generally look the same all the time. I mean, my hat, I wear one hat that's that's actually fraying. You know, it says misguided on it. I love I love my buff. I love a buff. I love a good buff. We have drawers of buffs here. Those Colorful buff. Um, because you can use it for lots of things. Um, and so I've, I have always, I've worn a buff for a long, long time, but you'll, you'll find this very, very funny. I'm small. And most buffs don't come in small, medium, and large. So when I get a buff or someone gives me a buff, and I do have a drawer full of them, I have to have them tailored to fit my neck because my neck's so small. Otherwise, the sun's going to go down and burn it. Exactly, exactly. And it doesn't stay up on my neck. So I have to have them tailored. I have to have them taken in. And I have quite a few of them. And I try to match my buff with the color shirt I'm wearing or, you know, my, generally, as I said, I wear the same hat. It's a tan hat, but it's not like my buff. It's a nice accessory. Is there an item of gear that's no longer available <clears throat> that you'd go nuts if a listener had and would send you? We're still trying to get the an Orvis line to John Montana Carp, if listeners. I forget which line it was, mm. but he's like, if anyone has one, mm. send it this way. Gosh. That's another very interesting. Say, give me the question again. Is there a, a discontinued item? Discontinued item. That you, you can't find anymore, but someone might have it in their hmm. crawl space and is willing to give it up. Hmm. 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 You know, nothing comes to mind. Really. All right. We'll yeah. go on. I know. I'll think. Probably think about it later when I'm home. What's sure. a What's a TV show you could binge watch over and over again? Well, we, we have been watching a, a, a handful of, of programs, um, but we, we love Veep. We've been watching Veep. Um, we love Sneaky Pete. We love Get Shorty. We are now watching, and I, I don't know if many people call The Midwife, which is excellent. I'm a news junkie, so I watch a lot of news. MSNBC, I flip back for CNN, um, but binge watching, yeah, we'll watch, um, we'll watch those programs. Oh, right. Mm -hmm. What's something you won't eat? I do not like beets unless they're pickled. I will eat anything pickled. We've got this. Beets taste like dirt. Yeah, there's a hav book here, though. There's mm -hmm. a recipe where you cook it with tahina, mm -hmm. and it takes away that, like, the dirt taste? Yeah, like dirt. And it's the only way I'll eat them. Dirt. 
Yeah. They're, the Russians if, love them. I, we have so many golden beets seeds if, in the garden right now. If they're pickled, I'll eat anything pickled. All right. Mm. Pig's feet. Anything pickled. All right. Actually, that should be a question. What's your favorite pickled thing? Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, if there's a sports team that you need to win or, or see win a national championship, what would it be? A sport. Okay. So, now, a sports team that I would like to see win? Yeah. Are you a long-suffering fan for any teams? Not really. Not really. All right. Not really. Hot dogs. Do you put ketchup or mustard on them? Both. And you know who has the best and, and the best hot dog and is famous for it? Iceland. Yes. You have to go to Iceland for their famous hot dogs. That's what my neighbor said. All the gas stations, it's hot yes, dogs. Hot dogs. And finally, do you have any superstitions? I not so much a superstition, but I have um, five talisman that I carry with me at all times, especially when I'm fishing. And they're in a little leather pouch that I carry in my breast pocket. One's a little embossed angel. One's a shamrock. One says, I think you're strong on it. There's five of them. And I carry them everywhere. Everywhere I go, everywhere I travel, they're always with me. That made me think of a last question. Mm. Heart-shaped rocks. Yes. I I love heart-shaped rocks. I, I probably have one for... For most of the rivers and streams I fished in probably the past 20 years, it all started when I went to guide school. Because Lorianne said, before we start guide school, I want you to pick out something that you can put on the altar to the fly fishing gods. And I was out next to a stream and I found a heart rock. So I brought the heart rock back. It was big, very big. It looked just like a heart. And I put it on the altar to, 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 for the fishing gods to have a good guide school. And that started it, and so I have a huge collection of heart rocks. I always think of them. I think of you when I see them. I found a huge one of the Salmon River. And I'm like, there's no way I'm schlepping this thing back. No, but you sent me pictures of it. And people do very often. They don't, obviously, they'll send a picture of it. But And I I don't generally seek them out. You just look down, and there they are. And I have big ones, and I have small ones. And um, so, yeah, it's kind of a neat thing, actually. I heart fly fishing. Right on. Mm-hmm. Where can listeners find you if they want to book a trip to the Gunpowder or a stream in the park? Right. Well, if you're not um, driving behind me on the Beltway or behind me in the line at McDonald's where you see misguided fly fishing on the back of my car, it's www.misguided, M-S-guided, flyfishing.net. Not dot .com, dot .net. We practice CPR? Oh, yes. You practice CPR, catch, photograph, and release. Yes, awesome. I do. Kiki, thanks for sitting down and telling your story with a snoring eight-year-old on the floor. Well, you know what? That's perfectly fine. We've already talked about the importance of getting children out on the, out on the river. And, um, you know, I know that, that she will be a, I'm sure, one of our future female gal pal anglers someday. I just hope she can row me around. Uh, you know what? That's a good reason to have children. Yeah. Is because she will be able to roll you around in your I'm hoping like in two years. Well, I was going to say because you're getting there pretty quick. Yeah. But no, it, it was my pleasure, Rob. And um, I think sitting down and talking to individuals and, and having them share their experiences is a, is a really neat way to, to um, just just keep our community together, I guess. And it's really neat. 
Right on. Right on. Super. Fish on. Thanks so much. Okay. Thank you for joining us for the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast. For more information or to contact Rob, please go to www.robsnowwhite.com. This podcast is brought to you by Freestone Productions at freestoneproductions.com. Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue, brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors. Every Monday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. A life that has the stories to back it, a life to be proud of. It's a Winchester life. Yeah, baby. 6'8 Western. Oh, I'll be over there, baby. Right there. Tune in every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. Brave anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Abyss Battery. Waypoint TV.